Mad Dog Show, coming to you live from the Park Group Studio in the heart of the Bulldog Nation. The Mad Dog Show is proudly sponsored by The Sanford Company, Bulldog Illustrated, TheDogBone.com, Classic City Collective, The Park Group Marketing and Media, Ventures Barbecue, Sellers Construction, Bib Distributing, Pelicano Construction, Go Clean Co., Jay Lee Attorney at Law, Ortho Georgia, Progressive Communications, Cherokee Brick, Macon Monogram, Jags Pizzeria, ASP, Butler Auto Group, Willingham Sash and Door, and Cranford Chiropractic. Now, here he is, your host, the Mad Dog. Congratulations, it's college football season again, and welcome to the official Mad Dog 3P kickoff show. First, we have an exciting announcement. This Friday, September 1st, in Athens, we will be doing our podcast live at Creature Comforts. Special guests include UGA legendary wide receiver Malcolm Mitchell. He runs a charitable foundation called Share the Magic that you need to know about. Next, UGA DGD Mark Slayball will join us. He is a best-selling author, and he works for ESPN as a writer and an insider for all things college football. Then, from the Classic City Collective, we will have Chief Revenue Officer Stephen Farmer. He's going to educate us on all things NIL, name, image, and likeness, and how we can help. So, Friday, 3 to 5, live stream us on Facebook or live stream us on the Creature Comforts Facebook. And of course, if you're in Athens, come and enjoy their one-of-a-kind craft beer. Creature Comforts is now the official craft beer of Georgia Athletics. But wait, there's more. UGA Royalty joins us tonight on this podcast, and his name is Tim Worley. He stopped by earlier and told me some things that none of y'all know. So, Buckle up your jockstrap because it's about to get real nasty up in hill. So, it's year three of our little private party, so let's do a quick little recap, shall we? I'm often asked, how did the Mad Dog Show start? Well, I wrote an article all about it on the dog bone, and just in case you didn't see it, it's posted on our website, themaddog.com. Quite simply, this show was born as a joke. Then it quickly morphed from a joke into a dare and then to a one and done and then something real, real quick because see the thing is we see things the same way. We all know that UGA is the best university on planet earth and we all love this school with every drop of blood in our veins. We believed that it was finally our time and we were right. And we also knew that other less deserving schools get a disproportionate amount of time in the press, much more favorable treatment, for no apparent reason other than their brand. And we were sick of it, and we were tired of it, and we were totally fed up. We couldn't gag on it anymore. We couldn't dry heave on it anymore. We couldn't puke it up anymore. All we could do is band together to manifest destiny. So... Two years and 20 very generous sponsors later, here we are. But two years ago, where were we? Well, I'll tell you exactly where we were. We were the picture of football fragility. Our dog nation was desperate for an Addy. I mean, we were starving for one, just one. And now we're sitting here talking about a three-peat. Let that sink in. We are legit having a stare down with a three-peat. And again, we got here because we manifested it. We went back to Cali and we ran it back to Georgia. And we won 29 games and lost just one since we started this show. Now, am I saying that this show is the reason? No. Am I saying uh, that this show provided maybe the cosmic karma? the magical mojo, if you will, to manifest us over the hump. I didn't do it. We did it. Us. Together. We collectively willed it to happen. And our Bulldogs bulldozed literally every team that got in our way. We beat every team that has ever won a natty along the way. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, LSU. We beat them all and many more. And... TCU. Oh, TCU. 
you poor, poor things. Bless your little hearts. Bless them, the victims of their own good luck. Because the cold hard reality is they were an 8-6 and six team masquerading as a 13-1 and one team. And deep down in places that they didn't even want to look at, they knew it. And they knew what was coming. It was going to be a good old-fashioned frog gigging because we unleashed a pack of snarling, slobbering, starving, rabid dogs full of bad intent. And I was there. I was in L.A. for the game, of course, right? And here's the weird thing. Here's how the TCU fans acted pregame. They were like meek and mild and docile and quiet, passive no eye contact, no trash talk, no mojo, no spirit, no juice. It was just a total happy to be there vibe. It was kind of hilarious and I actually pitied them. They knew it was gonna be a loss and so they acted like Vandy fans. But what they didn't expect was a beatdown of biblical proportions because they simply couldn't fathom that our dogs would bludgeon and bash and bloody and batter and bomb and clobber and castrate and demolish and decapitate and de <laughs> devastate and humiliate and genetically mutate every horny frog, <laughs> every horny frog fan on the face of the earth. And in the first half, we murdered them. And in the second half, we desecrated the corpses. It was criminal. It was felonious. It was illegal in all 50 states except the greatest one of all, which is ours, the great state of G-E-O-R-G-I to the mother-hugging A. Our offense had exactly one play where we lost yards. Just one. Care to guess what it was? I'm sure you can't guess, so I'm just going to tell you. It was when Carson Beck took a knee in victory formation at the end of the historical gigging of the Horn Frogs. And by the way, Carson Beck taking a knee in victory formation, that's called foreshadowing. Now, this was not just the biggest margin of victory in Natty history. It was the biggest margin of victory in any bowl game ever. And our fearless leader, he leads mercilessly, and he has more wins in his first seven seasons than any coach in SEC history. His formula is beautiful in its simplicity. You out-recruit your competition, not just the best players, but the best coaches too. Then you out-develop those players with those best coaches. Then you coach them up like you're possessed, and then you motivate them like you're a monster. And what do I mean when I say motivate like a monster? Well, send your kids into another room because this is for adults only and this defines not safe for work because this is what a monster motivator sounds like. All I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. So that's gas on a volcanic eruption of explosive, hellishly hot, molten lava. And if you are in our way, then he's about to light the fuse. And if you value your life, then you should get TF away. And if those speeches offend you, then, and note my wordsmithing here, I'm sorry that you were offended by those words. You need to be a Vandy fan because they need fans and we don't. Now, we're going to talk about the unquestioned UGA GOAT. Stetson Fleming Bennett IV, also known as Stequavius, also known as the Mailman. I'm going to break down this bad little doggy, and this mic is about to get hot. It's about to go down. All of you loyal listeners know that I've been a hardcore Mailman supporter from the start. So. Let's start with his arrest for public intoxication. Here are my thoughts. So what? So freaking what? I guarantee you that anyone listening right now has been drunk in public at some point in their life. And so the press, and specifically the AJC, treated it like he was arrested for assault with a deadly weapon while robbing a bank. Cheap shots like that are the only way that the AJC can get anybody to click and pay for the crap that they put out. So the guy who won back-to-back -back national championships, who was MVP 
of back-to-back national championships. Well, he drank too much and the cops locked him up. End of story. I wish I could say that was the worst thing that I ever did and you do too. So here is my expert assessment. So freaking what? Next, his press conference after the parade. I, during this time, was snowboarding in Keystone, Colorado when it happened. And I started hearing rumblings of a problem all the way out there. My phone started vibrating violently like it was, well, like it was a vibrator. <laughs> and I felt a disturbance in the force, if you will, and people everywhere were apparently offended. And I expected to read that the mailman delivered some profanity lace tirade and maybe he gave the crowd a finger and then he mooned them you know like the worst case mailman scenario and it would be plastered all over the internet but i didn't because it wasn't i didn't find that at all i didn't find anything remotely close to that what i found was a frustrated hero venting and he earned the right to do that i found a guy a goat telling it like he saw it, and he earned the right to do that too. I personally, I think he showed restraint. I, I really do because what he could have said and arguably should have said was to all of the haters, you all doubted me publicly and I won you a natty. And then you still doubted me publicly all over social media. And I won you a natty and you didn't even want me to run it back. You didn't want me to defend it. I mean, are you kidding me? You said I should just be happy with one and call it a day. Said I should just quietly move on with my life. Said I should maybe just step aside and let, give someone else a chance. Well, screw what you think. Essentially, he said FTH. Sidebar, here's a little hint. The T and the H in FTH stands for the haters. And you can use your imagination as what the F stands for. So if the kids are listening or my mama, the S stands for fight. Fight the haters. Now back to the goat and what he should have said. He should have said, I knew I could do it again. And I did as a Heisman Trophy finalist. And you had the audacity to doubt me to the very end. So to all the doubters and to all the haters, you can kiss the crack of my A double dollar signs because dollar signs are what I'm stacking up these days. P.S. If you want to put a statue up, I want to be dropping a mic. So again, what I saw was a 25-year-old man doing a far better job than I could have and a better job than you could have at explaining why he wasn't happy with all the unfair things that had been said by people, many claiming to be dog fans, about him. Was his timing off? Yeah, arguably so, but I'm not going to blame it for him. So, speaking of winning games, that's pretty much all this guy did, who's a winner. He went 29-1 and the last two seasons, just in case you haven't been paying attention. He went 33 out of 34 games with a win. He has us on a record, school record tying, 17 wins in a row, 17-game winning streak. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist. He won back-to-back -back national championships. And during those two years, Georgia, again, beat every team to ever play in or for the CFP, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Oregon, TCU. That is an amazing stat. Think about that. That's historic. That will never, ever happen again that a quarterback beats every team to play in or for a college football national championship. So, to summarize, the guy who won the dogs back-to-back -back natties, well, one night he drank too much and one day he told the word, world what he thought, BFD. B stands for big, D stands for deal, and you can tell your kids and my mama that the F stands for fat. Big, fat, deal. Deal with it and get over it. That's my guy. And so I say, thank you, Stetson. Thank you very much for those two natties. And I apologize for the spoiled, idiotic dog fans who are too ignorant to know any better. People have been hating on Stetson Bennett so much that they're writing songs about it. And people said a walk on could never win one, much less two. He ain't have a chance. But then they beat TCU so bad for the title that I'm pretty sure they closed down the program. Oh my God. I was happy for one. I guess he wasn't done. Must be fun. But Stetson Bennett, is he eligible again? I'm just asking for a friend. Stop hating on Stetson Bennett. I was about to go viral. Then he came in with the spot.
And if you think I'm done getting things off my sexy chest, think again, because I'm just getting warmed up next. Our schedule. I'm sure you've been openly mocked about it. And if you haven't, you will be. Trust me. If you haven't heard the press mark, mock our schedule yet, then you haven't been listening. So if some brainless twit at work tries to mock our schedule, then you should say, well, allow me to retort. First of all, we had an away game with Oklahoma taken away, and we had zero choice in the matter. And we can't control the rest of our schedule. We certainly can't control that Vandy sucks each and every year, and we can't control that Georgia Tech sucks each and every year. And normally, we can count on Auburn and Florida to have good teams. But no, they refuse. And instead, they keep on sucking. Sucking like a... Sucking like, um, you know, I've got a really great, great metaphor that I'm dying to use here, but I've got a wife and a kid, actually three kids and a boss. So some things are better left unsaid. Use your imagination. Now, where was I about our schedule? Uh, yes, Missouri, dangerous. Still have PTSD from that game last year. South Carolina. Every once in a while, those cocks can't be beat. Kentucky is a basketball school. So, let's just say, for the sake of argument, we have a two-game schedule, and it's Tennessee and Ole Miss. Well, guess what? Michigan and Ohio State have a two-game schedule, not this just year, but every year. How about USC, who is in an imploding conference that doesn't even play defense? Clemson, FSU, one-game schedules each and every year, one. So who's left? Alabama. The dying dynasty who can't find a quarterback out of the four they got, who is literally getting O-linemen out of the transfer portal from Vandy, who continues to raid the portal for receivers who either get hurt, who, who aren't effective, and you know who I'm talking about. I pray that we get to play Bama and shut them up. But the reality is, and you heard it here first, we won't get to play Alabama because they're not getting to the SEC championship game. The first game they're going to lose is to Texas, who will A.D. Mitchell them to death. They're also going to lose to LSU, to Tennessee, and to Auburn. They'll go 8-4, and four, and then those obnoxious snobs to the west of us will split open and melt. And what are we going to do? Well... We're going to be too busy waltzing our way to our date with destiny, which is the new dynasty, because we just three-peated. Mic drop. And now let me snatch that mic right back, because we will be certain to remind the quote-unquote experts on ESPN, which are Desmond Howard, Pat McAfee, and the biggest dog hater of them all, Kirk Herbstreet, that they are as good at evaluating talent as Pick somebody who doesn't know football talent. Taylor Swift. They're as good at Taylor Swift at evaluating football talent. And actually, you know what? I like Taylor Swift. And that's not fair to Taylor Swift. So I want to apologize to Taylor Swift because you're better than those three clowns at literally everything. Think I'm done? Well, I'm not. Because I got one more bone to pick. And that bone is a guy by the name of Jim Harbaugh. Jim Harbaugh, in short, was cheating and he got caught. What did he do when he got caught cheating? He lied about it. And then he got caught lying. So he got busted cheating, and he got busted lying about the cheating. And the NCAA tried to do him a solid with a meaningless four-game suspension, which their suspensions mean nothing other than you can coach all week, but you're not actually physically in the stadium to coach. Four meaningless games against four nobodies. And what did Harbaugh's arrogance lead him to do? He rejected that offer which was a slap on the wrist. And so Michigan was left to do the only thing they could do, which was self-impose a suspension on him. But in this case, they only did three games, and they're just trying to mitigate what they know is coming next year if Harbaugh is even there. And so why am I making a big deal out of this? Because it is a big deal. But you would barely know about it based on the media coverage. And why am I making a big deal about it? Because can you imagine what the media would be doing if that was Kirby. 
they would be circled up, spitting and sweating and like pigs, hyperventilating over the journalistic lynching that they were about to be issuing. But instead, it's on page six in fine print. But maybe it's just me. Maybe I care just a little bit too much. And if caring too much is wrong, I don't want to be right. Last thing, and then we're going to talk to Tim Worley. Here's my dream season. We blazed through the regular season, including embarrassing the volunteers at Neyland Stadium, of course. We render it as quiet as a funeral. There will be no Rocky Top play. We blazed through the regular season, and our defense only allows, get ready for this hot take, 8.9 points per game. I'm including trash TDs in that. That's under 100 points in the 12-game regular season. Think about that. 8.9 points per game. That's off the charts. Crazy prediction. You heard it here first. It's going to happen. So, in the SEC championship game, turns out I was wrong. Bama makes it. We eliminate the elephants in embarrassing fashion to the point that everyone says Saban should just hang it up. Even Paul Feinbaum is already saying that now. He's saying the reign is over. Even Paul, who is a massive Bama fan. In the playoffs, here's my prediction. It's us, of course. USC, Texas, and Michigan. Once again, Michigan can't matriculate to the finals and loses to Texas, so we draw USC. Do I even need to explain to you what's going to happen in that game? What's going to work out? I know I don't, but I will. Long story short, we beat them by at least 21. So then, in effect, it's an SEC national championship played in Houston, Texas, Texas versus Georgia, cows versus dogs, and we know how that story ends. Three beat. A.D. Mitchell ain't smiling at the end of that one. Dogs on top, 38 to 24, and all we do is we merely pivot our discussion to a four-peat, literally writing history with each victory. So that's all I got. That's all I got this week. Um, well, other than this, we got to talk about the game, right? Um, so any player who's listed as questionable or probable, I want them to just sit out. I want them to get well. we got tons of young talent that we've been reading about. Let's see them. Let's get them the reps. There's no line, so I have no score prediction. In short, we win. Now, you smell that? It's magic in the air. August is in the rearview mirror. Fall is on the horizon. Cooler temperatures. The fastest season of each and every year, so it's time to savor it. Savor every second, because you're going to blink, and it's going to be Thanksgiving. Get out there and make memories with your football family, with your old friends. Make some new ones. This isn't religion or politics. It's way more than the two of those things combined. It's time for college football in the South. Are you ready? Of course you are. That's a rhetorical question. I know you're ready. So here's another question, a real one. Have you ever met a human who could dunk a basketball and hit a home run on a major league field and run a 10.3 second 100 meter and a 20.85 second 200 and uh, score a ton of touchdowns on Saturdays for the dogs followed by a ton of touchdowns on Sundays for the Steelers and the Bears? I never knew a human could do all that, much less meet him. And then I met Tim Worley. <laughs> Welcome, Tim. How you doing, Matt Dog? Man, good to have you here in person. I can't believe it. So I'm just going to jump right in. I had to do uh, extensive research, not because I didn't know about this guy, but just because there is just so much I didn't know because he is an amazing world-class athlete. So let me just read you some of his stats. Born in Lumberton, North Carolina, we all know him as a football star, but did you know that he was also a track star and at 6'2", 230 pounds, ran a 10-3-100, which is smoking, ran a 20.85, 20 seconds, 0.85 in the 200, which is insane. And then I found this out today. So he was a four-star athlete, four-sport athlete, Scored touchdowns in football where he won a state title. He can dunk a basketball. Also played on the baseball team where he could hit a home run and a world-class track athlete. And I don't think I've ever met anyone or even heard of anyone who can do that. But you told me one person that could, and who's that? That was Jim Thorpe. 
kind of a big deal. <laughs> Jim Thorpe was kind of a big deal. So, I mean, right off the bat, uh, that blows me away. And if you talk to Tim for about 10 seconds, you will realize that he is highly intelligent, as evidenced by the fact that you chose to go to the University of Georgia. <laughs> and I'm going to drop a little more knowledge on you. Did you know that this man right here, as a freshman, scored an 89-yard touchdown against number one ranked Florida, and he was on the only team to ever beat a number one ranked team until last year when the Dogs beat Tennessee. So, I mean, how did it feel after that game as a freshman, an 89-yard run, and you just beat the number one team in the country? Well, um, that was a lot a lot of years ago. I think I was 18, maybe 19 years old. And, right. Um, first of all, nobody gave us a chance with the number one team that year. And uh, I think we were ranked 15 or 16. Uh-huh. And uh, we knew from jump that we had a chance to beat them. Right. And we, we just stalemated them the whole game. And, you know, that last three and a half minutes, uh, just a tall sweep to the right. Yeah. And uh, I saw the hole, cut it up. Keith Henderson gave me the block, and it was history from there. Untouched. Yeah, untouched. But, you know, it's a, it was a great feeling. It was like just being in, in heaven because all the fans, <laughs> the great, crazy right. Georgia fans, they ran out on the field and, Tore down the field goals and stuff, and um, that's uh, that's probably one of the one of the plays while being a University of Georgia athlete that all the fans remember. Yeah, yeah. And so, <clears throat> as we touched on, you're a world class track athlete. When you got and you saw open field in front of you, you knew nobody was going to catch you. So I mean, that had to be as you're running to the end zone like a dream, right? Yes. I mean, how, did it feel like it was a long time? Like, I can't believe that this is happening. It feels like it's, you know, eight seconds, but it feels like unbelievable, right? Well, I mean, to me, it happens so fast. Right. Um, you can't, you know, I, I try to describe people. Somebody asked me, what do, you, what do you hear when you run a long touchdown? Do you hear the crowd? No, I don't hear the crowd. All I hear is, <laughs> you know what I mean? I hear myself breathing, and then once I cross that goal mm -hmm. line, and you calm down, that's when you hear the roar. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it's just like, it's like you're on top of a mountain. Right. And, and uh, there's no, I was the type of guy, once I get a step on you, once I get past the linebackers, you're not going to catch me. Right. You're not going to catch me. And uh, that guy, you know, one of the things that people don't know, David, they, uh, when I hit that hole, if you look at it and study it very carefully in slow motion, Larry Munchen was calling it. Uh-huh. And I, I kind of went up and I came down. My shoe came off. My shoe came off my heel. Uh huh. And for about, I don't know, maybe 30 to 40 yards, I'm running trying to put the <laughs> shoe back on. And it didn't go back on until I reversed and went across the field. That's when it went back on. Uh -huh. So I was struggling trying to put my shoe on while number 23 for Florida was chasing me. Right. You know, so, but I still had enough speed where he couldn't catch me. Wow. So now I got to go back and watch that play. <laughs> I got to hear Munson call it. So after the game, you probably are feeling this king of the world vibe. And what is the locker room celebration like? Is it just bonkers? Well, I tell you, it's uh, number one, we got to remember it's a sport, it's a game. And you saw a lot of mature guys, upper-class guys. We expected from the freshmen, but we were acting like kids because uh -huh. we realized what we just did. Right. You know, everything calmed down, and everybody was looking. Do you guys realize we just beat the number one team? But did you realize you were the only Georgia team that had ever done that at that point? No, we didn't realize okay. it at that point. Okay. I, I didn't realize that to maybe a few years later. Right. And so I still ride on that. So, you know, <laughs> you know so but, but like I said – no one gave us a chance to uh, win that game. I mean, Florida had guys like Neil Anderson, Kerwin Bell, John L. Williams, Ricky Natil, Lonzo Johnson. I played. I was teammates with some of those guys. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just incredible. I'll never forget that. And plus, I'm a freshman. Yeah. So I'm like, <gasps> you yeah. know, so I was, I was just blown away. Yeah, your first Georgia-Florida game. Yes. Wow. Yes. Um, so – you know, you've had a magical run uh, in sports up until that point, and then you had a brutal injury. You uh, tore your ACL, which, you know, at that time, 
people really didn't even know as much unless they played sports. You know, I've blown my ACL out. I know how terrible it is. And your rehab was almost two years. So, I mean, I, I know that that had to be brutal. Tell us about that time. Well, um, the technology wasn't up to par like it is today. Right. Um, guys can tear their ACL and come back within six months. But back then, um, you know, you had to get the uh, – I call it the zipper on your knee. Mm -hmm. I but got one. I was fortunate. You do? You yeah. One? Oh, yeah. I was fortunate because um, I think the doctor was Dr. Mohern. Okay. Um, he, they were able to go in and orthoscopic, however you pronounce that, yeah. my knee without cutting it. Uh -huh. And see, I didn't tear my ACL. I tore my anterior cruciate and my medial collateral. So basically, I tore every ligament and cartilage on the inside of my knee, Okay. not the outside. Mm -hmm. And so they were able to go in and just scope it. But the, the surgery was intense. They said I was going to be out for the year, which I was. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know it was going to knock me out for that long. Right. It took me approximately um, at least a year and a half to even get to full speed. Mm -hmm. And then after about two years, I was full speed and I was able to recover, get back strong. Actually, it was stronger than it was before mm -hmm. I got hurt. Mm -hmm. And uh, But that was a difficult time. And for an athlete, it's very difficult mentally yeah. because... Once you get hurt and you're no longer dressing and traveling, you don't feel like you're part of the team. And so you got too much time on your hands. Mm -hmm. And we know, uh, uh, and I don't mind, is a devil's workshop. So, <laughs> But um, that was, uh, you know, I wouldn't change a thing. That injury actually made me a stronger athlete, made me a better athlete, and also made me mentally tough. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, yeah. Well, you went through, you know, a, like I said, a brutal time, the brutal injury. Brutal rehab, but then comes redemption on the football field. Oh, yeah. You know, you're an All-American, Parade All-American, two other kinds of all, but Walter Camp, I think, All-American. Then there's a third one that I can't recall. Um, and then just like that, it's time to go to the NFL. <laughs> First round draft pick, number seven overall pick, and you go to the Steelers. You just so happen to be a fan of the Steelers. Tell us about that. Well, uh, I, I like to tell this to young people. Dreams do come true, even even adults. Dreams come true. Uh, ever since I was nine years old, the Steelers, they became my favorite uh, NFL football team because growing up in North Carolina, um, we had uh, uh, four teams that we chose from mm -hmm. in the neighborhood. You were either a Pittsburgh Steeler, Dallas Cowboy, Washington Redskin or original Baltimore Colt, uh -huh. and most people were Steelers and Cowboys. Right, and and so um, when the, my guy was Mean Joe Green, mm -hmm. and so when I got to the Steelers, I actually met him because he was a defensive line coach, and I found out that our birthdays are the same day, September twenty fourth. Wow! So so we got something coming up here soon. But um, Steelers was my favorite team, my mother's favorite team, and it was just like a dream come true. You know, me playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, got a chance to get my same number that I had at the University of Georgia, wearing the black and gold, meeting Chuck Noll, meeting all the Super Bowl guys that played. And it was just, I was just in awe. Right. But what I realized, David, what I realized too, that I'm there now. I can't be in awe anymore. Yeah. I got a job to do. Right. So I'm on the same level that they're on. Right. Okay, so let's go to work. <laughs> I mean, it's just mind-boggling to think about Chuck Knoll is the head coach. Mean Joe Green, while he's not your position coach, you know, he's there to provide guidance, and, and you kind of touched on that uh, mm -hmm. of, of him, you know, kind of pulling you aside and telling you the things to do and not do. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, first of all, um, for, for those that may not know, uh, Joe Green, Mean Joe, he, uh, what, a, what an awesome guy. He, he was – Chuck Knoll's number one pick in the 1969 draft. I didn't know that. And uh, when you think about it, the Steelers, since 1969, they've, they've only had three head coaches. Mm -hmm. Chuck Knoll, Bill Cowher, Mike Tomlin, mm -hmm. present. Right. And so he was the number one pick. So me and Joe Green knew what I was facing, even in the late 80s, early 90s. You know, you're, you're a new kid on the block, your first-round pick, and you just got a pocket full of money mm -hmm. invested, I mean, put into your bank account. And, you know, there's all type of things going on. Right. I'm in the city of Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm, I'm single. 
You know what I mean? I'm not half bad looking. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, you know, it's 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 all the women. It's 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 all the you're the, a target. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and, yeah, and and like the young kids today. I mean, we're, we're, they're targets, you know. But also, just the fact that uh, being there and and getting to know the city, getting to know co the community, because. The Pittsburgh Steelers fans are the best. They're like Georgia fans. Mm -hmm. They're there everywhere you go, you see them. Right. And they're diehard, and they recognize you. Even when I go back today, uh -huh. they recognize me. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? A lot of people said I kind of favor Mike Tomlin a little bit. You kind of do, yeah. Group, you know, with my eyes and everything. And there was a couple of people that called me Coach Tomlin when I was up there. I was like, no, I'm Tim Worley. You know what I mean? But, uh, but. It was um, it was an experience. Um, I had to learn some things the hard way, but uh, Joe Green he sat me down and we talked about things that I should expect and things that I should do while being that single guy in a new city that just signed a multi million dollar contract. Right. Number one, the proper ways to get him my rest. Number two, um, knowing that this is a business now, you're not in a program anymore, mm -hmm. and it took me a while to make that transition. Right. You know, I tell people. When I got to Pittsburgh, you know, I bought a house and I bought all these things to live in Pittsburgh. And after my first couple of days of practice in, in Three River, you know, I'm looking to go back to McWhorter Hall. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I forgot that I purchased a home. And so I'm, and, uh, I, I'm like, man, I got to go home. So what do you do with all that time that you have at night? How do you get your proper rest? How do you take care of yourself when you have all this free time and you have any and everything coming at you? Mainly females. Right. So, so you know, you had to exercise self-control. And back then, i got to be honest, I had no self-control. Sure. You know what I mean? And, and uh, I was kind of a wild guy. But, you, you know, we live and we learn. And these are the same type of things that I try to teach young men today. You know, uh, I'm more focused on your well-being, your character, than I am your, your athletic uh, skill, your gift. So that's, that's how I operate today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and as you made that comment about McWhorter Hall, it just and it dawned on me. You know, you go from you're in a football environment where you practice, you play, and you're with your teammates all the time. To now you practice, you play, and you're with them none of the time. You know, you're there at night by yourself, and you're like, "Well, what am I going to do now?" Yeah, yeah. And you told me exactly what happens. Yeah. And another thing that dawned on me as I was thinking about your career, not only with Pittsburgh but also with Chicago, is you were with the OG families of the NFL. I mean, literally NFL royalty with the Roonies for the Steelers, Hallis for the Bears. And do you ever look back at that and just go, that's, that's pretty wild? Yeah, I, I, I do. Um, and it took a while because, you know, um, you don't realize stuff until you're away from it. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize what I had, David, until I was actually away from it. Right. And when I was away from it for a few years, I realized I was like, wow, this is how people viewed me. Mm -hmm. This is what I was once a part of. Right. And you're talking about two of the two of the oldest teams in the NFL and royalty when it comes to football families, professional football. Mm -hmm. You know, the Hallises, the McCaskies, the Rooneys, and they're both great professional people. Mm -hmm. And um, um, they're the type of people like when I go back to Pittsburgh, even if I went back to Chicago, they get us what we need. They give us access to tickets. They give us access to Super Bowl tickets, access to the field, things that we need. It may be an emergency. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're always giving us opportunities to come back and greet the fans. And, 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 and what's amazing is the people love to see us come back. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, great families. So Pittsburgh, you've got Chuck Knoll, Bill Cower. Chuck Knoll, you know, it would be hard to not put him on a pedestal, right? You know, he's just won all these Super Bowls. He kind of came across as, as stoic, but what was he like, you know, on the practice field? What was that like with him? He was stoic, but uh, Chuck was kind of soft-spoken. Uh -huh. But when you made him angry, he would completely go off. Um, he, <laughs> he knew his stuff. Uh -huh. I believe that Chuck, to me, was um, he was a general. He was a genius when it came to football, and what people don't may not remember or know that Chuck Knoll actually blocked for Jim Brown for the Cleveland Browns. That's another and, thing and, I didn't know. Yeah, so so um, he he um, he drafted me personally. I wanted to know. I had questions because Pittsburgh Steelers, if you know, all the Super Bowl teams in the '70s and the early '80s, 
the offense that they ran was trapping. Mm-hmm. If, 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 you, if you don't know what that is, it's just split veer backs in a three-point stand, and you got your guards and your tackles. They're just trapping the defensive linemen. And basically, in that style of offense, that's meant for slower-type running backs. And coming from Georgia, seven and a half, eight yards deep, give me the ball, get out of the way. <laughs> and, you know, by the time we hit the, the line of scrimmage, we're full speed. Yeah. So what it did, it slowed me down. Mm-hmm. It hindered me. But at the same time, I learned as a couple of years passed by, it made me a better reader with my eyes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I have to hit the hole wide open. You know what I mean? So – um, I was trying to figure that out, David. Why? And I asked Coach No. I said, Coach, why did you? Why did y'all draft me? You know, we were just yeah. talking. If, if if he said I've drafted because of your blocking skills, really? He thought that I was an excellent blocker, and being the guy that I was at the University of Georgia, he felt like watching film on me and the games that I played in. Just about every time he saw me block. I was taking somebody to the ground. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you will go back and watch old Steeler film from 89 to maybe 93, uh, Murrah Hodge and I are in the backfield. I did more blocking than I did running the ball. Really? Yes. Wow. And, uh, you know, Merle and I, we talk about that today. He's a good friend of mine. I was just with him a couple of weeks ago in Pittsburgh. But, yeah, but, you know, it was uh, it was just a team thing, yeah. you know. And, and then when I got traded to the Bears, of course, uh, Dave Weinstead put me seven yards deep yep. uh, with Ironhead Haywood in front of uh-huh. me, and uh, I, I liked that. So, so you missed with the Bears. You missed Ditka by a year. By a year. By a year. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking about this correctly, first of all, you had a pro career as a running back of six years, which that's long by today's standards. Do you feel like because they put you in more of a blocking mode, that may have extended your career in the pros by I don't know a year or two? Well, I, I just believe that um, I was going to block whatever position they wanted to put me in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to do it. Um, I love running the ball. Most people think that because of my speed that I love running outside, but I love running between the tackles. Mm-hmm. I was one of those guys, I could run away from you or I can buckle you. Mm-hmm. I could hit you. And, and I, I, I welcome the physical contact. Right. But, but um, yeah, so it's uh, the Bears was a little bit different. Um, once I got there, um, uh, a year later, Merle Hodge came and joined me. You know, he got traded from the Steelers, too. Uh-huh. But I had uh, uh, Craig Ironhead Haywood uh, in front of me blocking. I had Bobby Christian, mm-hmm. uh, guys like that. And uh, I had an opportunity to play with the Fridge one year. <laughs> you know, the that? Fridge, yeah. man. Yeah, he was probably one of the nicest guys you ever want to yeah. meet. The Fridge, Richard Dent, Steve McMichael, Keith Van Horn, Sean Gale, all those guys, man. I got one more. Okay. A dog, Kevin Butler. He Kevin was, Butler. Yeah, he was still there, right? Yes, he was. That was at that time, you know, still single bar face mask. Did he still like to kick with a big fat dip in? Well, he switched <laughs> the dip to bubblegum. It was, it was a big wall of bubblegum. But Kevin, what was amazing about Kevin, we all know Georgia fans that Kevin was an amazing kicker, especially when he kicked that 60-yarder, 60, 63-yarder 60 oh, yeah. against Clemson yep. in 84. But Kevin was the type of person, if you can kick field goals like that in Chicago, you're a great kicker. Because during the season, especially when October rolls around, it's windy, right. it's rainy, and it starts to get cold. Yep. And it didn't face Kevin. Right. You know, Kevin had a lit. You ought to see Kevin's calves, man. He's got these big old Popeye calves. Yeah. Right? But he could put the ball in the stands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was my teammate, though, number that's five. Number five, that's yeah. awesome. So what are some of your just best memories from the league? Um, got more better memories at UGA and Sanford Stadium. Right. But since you asked in the league, probably um, best memories were probably my rookie year when I actually – Felt my niche. Mm-hmm. Um, the first couple of games in the NFL was brutal. And uh, my first game against Cleveland Browns, I fumbled three times. And, and what, what, uh, what was going on is I missed all the training camp because of negotiating, negotiating the contract. Okay. And so I was in training camp for four or five days. Mm-hmm. And uh, to tell in the training camp, my very first preseason game was against the Philadelphia Eagles in old uh, veteran stadium which was horrible turf, right? just like Three River and just like Riverfront in Cincinnati, okay? 
And uh, I look across the line. I'm standing there waiting. You know, I'm only in camp for four days, and we go Saturday and play Philadelphia. And I'm standing there. Coach Noel said, Coach Noel, Chuck Noel said, okay, Worley, get in. Go on, make mistakes. You know what I mean? I said, oh, God, all right. So I go in there. And this is funny. And I'm running on the field, and I look. And I'm standing there. The TV, you know, they went to a commercial, which so we're on hold. And I look across there, and I look. I said, man, that's Reggie White. I said, oh, my God. <laughs> I said, and I said, and the dude's 6'6". Yeah. And he's standing there, and he's just looking, right? He's looking, and, and, you know, he can't put both his feet flat on the guy. He's always leaning, right? Uh-huh. And I said, uh, I said, uh, how you doing, Mr. White? He said, how you doing, Willie? They tell me you just got to camp. I said, yes, sir. He said, welcome to the NFL. Nice gentleman. Yeah. You know, but I'm looking, I'm like, look at this dude. I'm looking up at him, man. I'm like, and I got to compete against this? Yeah. But that was my first preseason. But um, after the Cleveland game, regular season, first game, Cincinnati, we begin to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Okay. I scored my first touchdown on my birthday nice. against the Minnesota Vikings. Uh-huh. And after that, things peaked up. I got my niche. I got comfortable. I got comfortable with the uh, trapping offense. And uh, things started to peak up. I started scoring touchdowns, started getting 100-yard games, mm-hmm. and we went to the playoffs. So every time that I had 100 yards plus, we won. Mm-hmm. Okay? If we could get that out of me or anybody in the backfield, we won the game. So we went two rounds in the playoffs um, in 1989. We beat the Houston Oilers in the, in the, in the wild card, mm-hmm. came back and played Denver. We smoked them the whole game, and then the last quarter – they came back, went above us by one point, and we were driving down the field with one a minute and three seconds left on the clock. Buddy Brister fumbled a, a snap. Oh. But I remember that rookie year was probably the most memorable and also the last half of the season with the Bears when I got traded to the Bears because I found my niche there mm-hmm. and I was very productive. So that's my fondest memory. So something I've – when you were talking about your contract negotiations, it popped a question up. So when you're in your contract negotiations for Pittsburgh, first-round draft pick, you pretty much know you're going to work it out. Are they letting you study the playbook while you guys are trying to work the contract out, or they're like, you're not seeing the playbook till you sign right here? Right. Yeah. So my memory, um, we saw a little bit of stuff in minicamp. Mm-hmm. So I still remember stuff from minicamp. Okay. I remember the, the, the dialect. I remember the everything, just the process that we went through. But a lot of the plays I didn't, so I had to pick that up real quick. I got overload once right. I got there. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's weird because I'm still the first rookie in Steeler history to get a million-dollar signing bonus back in 1989. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, I'm still the first, the highest running back ever drafted in Steeler history. Nice. Okay, so I got I got that tag on me. Nice. But – that signing bonus thing, and when I actually reported to camp, that's all that my teammates wanted to talk to me about. Because the upper, the upper guys, the guys that the veterans, they were looking at me like I was a poke chop. You know, I'm serious, man. A fried poke chop with yeah. hot sauce, man. But listen, <laughs> but listen, they were like, man, that dude ain't proved his, prove himself yet, man. You, they looking at me like, loan me five dollars, brother. Yeah, exactly. Well, is there some resentment there? Yeah, that it you're is. coming in and you're making, you're out earning them. Yep, yep. And so, uh, you know, I, uh, I pretty much proved. I, I, I've struggled a little bit in the beginning, but in practice, right away, I proved myself. Uh-huh. I was very physical. Mm-hmm. They wanted to get physical. I'm physical. You know, I'm a Georgia running back. We physical. Right. So, yeah. Well, in the course of, you know, looking at all the different titles that you've had, one that I learned is that you're an SEC legend, and that's not just I'm throwing around that he's an SEC legend. That is an official title that you have, and I wanted to read this here. Based on stringent criteria outlined by the SEC, you were chosen by the most senior administrative officers at UGA and the AD at the time, Greg McGarity, having the final say in that decision. And so you were honored on the field during the 2013 SEC Championship game in Atlanta as an official SEC legend. How did that feel? Um, I was humble. It, it really blew me away. Um, I was living in Huntsville, Alabama at the time. And when I got the call and the announcement, and they let me know um, <clears throat> that they were going to be recognizing us at the SEC Championship game between Auburn and Missouri. Um, I was humble because 
you know, the things that I went through over the years. And sometimes you just think, you know, things were done in vain. No matter how well you did, you know, when you make mistakes, uh, people remember the mistakes. They don't remember the, the, accomplish the great accomplishments that you had. But it was humble. And I actually cried when I, when I found out. Yeah. Because you think people forget, but, you know, there's still people out there that, that can look past stuff, forgive you, and, mm -hmm. and, you know, say, hey, this kid was a great football player. Right. You know, and, um, but I was very humbled, and it was a great time. And that was the same year that we had a 25-year reunion of the Walter Camp um, uh, All-American thing where we, they took and brought oh, us up to yeah, Connecticut, yeah, yeah, yeah. me and Troy Sadowski. Mm -hmm. and, and uh, that was that same year. Right. And so uh, the SEC thing was in December. So in January, we flew up to Connecticut. And you got all the guys coming back. Tony Dorsett, Doug mm. Williams, yeah. everybody. And yeah. we're all just having a good time at Yale University. Of all know? places. Yeah, man. Beautiful. It was yeah. awesome. They're Bulldogs, too. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yes, sir. So the, the, the thing about an NFL career is it's short. And yep. – You've got to figure out. I mean, you're you're out of the NFL practically when somebody's gotten their master's degree, you know. And so from there, you've become uh, a highly accomplished public speaker. You've uh, you've got, you're accredited by the John C. Maxwell Certified Speaker. You're a life skills consultant. Uh, I think I may need to hire you for some of my life skills. My <laughs> wife says that I need still need some work there. I'm still a work in progress. Um, just kidding, not really. Um, but here's another thing about your brother that I love, and, and that is that, you know, every day that I go on Facebook, I'm going to see that Tim Worley posted something positive. I'm going to see that you posted something uplifting, and a lot of people on Facebook don't use it for that. You know, it's about, you know, breaking their arm to pat themselves on the back, yeah. and, or it's something negative and divisive, but it's just um, something very, you know, <clears throat> cool and unique about you that every day it's guaranteed you read what Tim posted and it's going to be positive and kind of talk to us about what drives that. Well, first of all, um, I'm a true believer in, in God, Jesus Christ. He, uh, he is my Lord and Savior. I got saved a long time ago, um, but he really wasn't my Lord until maybe 2009, I started to obey him a little bit. I'm a true believer that he's not your Lord until you start obeying him. He's your Savior. And then the, over the past three years, um, uh, 2020, 2023, 20, the end till end of 2022, um, I hit another level with my relationship with him. So that's what drives me. Um, I believe that um, God chose me to be an influence, to be a representative of the kingdom of heaven, to influence people to, to surrender and give their lives to the Lord. Because I tell you, David, it wasn't, I thought I had everything before, but it, it wasn't until I died to myself and surrendered and picked up my cross and began to carry it as I received Jesus Christ that I really found life. And today I can say um, with everything in me that I've never been more focused I've never been, I've never had more peace. I've never known who I was. I know who I am today. Mm -hmm. I know exactly who Timothy Worley is. And for a lot of years, I didn't know who I was. I thought my identity was just wrapped up in being an athlete. And um, so when that was over with, I didn't know what to do with myself. You know, what do you do when the cheering stop? And so it took me a decade to actually find my niche on, on other gifts that God put in me. And, uh, you know, I tell people the kingdom, once you receive Jesus, the kingdom is from within. And so when you pursue God, you begin through obedience, you begin to unlock doors in the kingdom and things that you didn't even know you had in you. Now, one of my biggest fears, David, was I was afraid to stand up and talk about serious issues in front of people. Now, I was a comedian. That doesn't, that doesn't seem to suit your personality based on what I know about <laughs> I know, you, right? I know. But I was a comedian, right? And, and when it came to telling, telling jokes, uh, uh, imitating people, even singing or rapping, stuff like that, I was giving a mic, I'll do it, right? But, you know, when it came to talking serious topics, I didn't, I didn't want no parts of that. But now, you know, I tell people the devil is a lie because now that's my passion. Mm -hmm. And God called me to preach the gospel. I knew it for a long time, but I ran from it because I was afraid. Right. 
I was completely afraid. But I have that fear no more. I fear nothing and nobody anymore. And, and I'm going to tell you something. I told a guy this the other day, and it's something that I heard a long time ago. It said the, the two most important days of your life is when you were born and you found out why you were born. I've found out why Timothy Worley was born. You found your purpose. I found my purpose. And I move every day toward my purpose. And every day toward my purpose, my whole, you know, I'm about my father's business. And everything about me is just pursuing God. And he's showing me everything that he purposed me to be, do, and have. And I want to help other people get to that point. You don't have to live in chaos. Mm -hmm. You don't have to put things in your body to make yourself feel good. I am filled, and I'm 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 drunk off the Word of God now. Wow. You know what I mean? And and the Word of God is my issue, and so that's why I get up every morning. I wake up every morning between three o'clock and four o'clock, and um, <laughs> and uh, Did you, you wake up when. Every morning between three three o'clock and four o'clock a.m. Well, we were up at the same time today, but I still hadn't gone to sleep by three o'clock. <laughs> Your alarm's going off. But I'm a different guy now, and, and and basically, I try. I can't really stay up past eleven o'clock. See, I've got insomnia. That's my right. problem. Yeah. Right, and and so I get in about four and a half, five hours of sleep. I don't require that much sleep. Mm -hmm. And when I do, I get up at about three o'clock, three thirty. And what I do, man, I I. Uh, I, I pray, I get in the Word of God, I'll stay in the Word, studying the Word for about three hours every morning. Wow. And, and I start my day off like that before I crank up any, and the posts you see on social media, Facebook, or any of the other two flat platforms that I have, that's after me being in the Word for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. And so, and so it's, it's not like a, it's not like a, 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 a I don't want to call it a routine, it's my life. Mm -hmm. It's my life now because I don't compartmentalize God. God is in everything. He's the center of everything that I do. And I tell people this, you know, for a lot of years, man, in my 20s, I'm about to be 57 next month, but a lot of years in my 20s and my 30s, even part of my 40s, I raised a lot of hell. You know what I mean? <laughs> I know a little about that. Yeah, yeah so, so now I'm actually raising heaven and, and, and spreading the gospel all over the place. And uh, I get a chance to travel as a traveling evangelist to speak in different uh, churches, speak in different communities, speak to different organizations and functions, corporate, college football teams, high school, FCA, all that stuff. And, um, and, and, and I really enjoy it. It's not work to me, mm -hmm. but it's the work that God put in me. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Obviously, you know, you're making a difference with projecting positivity, radiating positivity. I like what you said about you went from raising hell to raising heaven. Um, and, and that's got to be cool to, to travel the country and, and talk to these amateur athletes and pro athletes and corporate leaders yeah. um, to make a difference with them. And um, there's more coming. We can't talk about it now, but there's more big stuff coming. So keep your eyes on Tim Worley. And I got a, a last question. In your entire football career, who hit you the hardest? <laughs> oh, my goodness. It, went, it didn't come in the pros. It didn't come in the no, pros. I like it. Um, was it in practice or a game? Uh, it was in a game. I was hoping you were going to say it was one of your teammates. Well, I, there's some, some, some folk close to that, but the hardest hit I've ever received in my life was probably against Auburn, 1988. Auburn had a middle linebacker named Smokey Hodge. Do you remember that game? I, I, okay. I remember the name Smokey Hodge. And, okay. and I, remember, I mean, I don't remember the specifics okay. of that game, but I was obviously watching it because I watch every game. Okay. We, we were behind. I think it was in maybe the fourth quarter. Um, we were at Jordan Air, at, uh, and we were on our own 46 maybe. We had to get the first down. We had to go for it in order to come closer to, 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 to scoring. And so we decided to run what we call a 42 lead. 42 lead is just me basically hop step and I'm between the guard and the, and the center, okay? And uh, i never forget Auburn had three linebackers. They had a 3-4 defense. You had a linebacker stacked to the left and the right, and then you had Smokey Hodge in the middle, mm -hmm. all right? Alfonso Ellis was my fullback. Okay. I'm in the backfield, and Wayne Johnson, the quarterback, and so we snapped the ball. And as soon as Wayne put the ball in my belly, I'm, I still got my pocket. 
and I went and my my left leg went up and as soon as I went to come down whack Smokey Haas top of his helmet he would have got kicked out the game yeah. if it was today yeah top of his helmet hit me right in the chin and I just went I clenched my teeth blood everywhere in my mouth my nose and he just you could hear it through I even heard the hit you know what I mean and he stunned me didn't knock me out but he stunned me so Alfonso Ellis missed him uh-huh. and Smokey Haas kind of went in sideways and he missed him and the way he went in his helmet just hit me in the chin and I'll never forget it you can pull it up on YouTube it's on, <laughs> it's on YouTube and, and it made Smokey, Smokey famous but uh, <laughs> it's on YouTube and you know what man I was I was in, I'm, I'm, I'm so competitive I was so angry yeah. when that happened and I laid into Alfonso for a little bit God bless his soul man he, he's gone and uh but I did, and I was angry, man. I was, and I went out back out on the field with vengeance. And but uh, that's the hardest I've ever been hit. Well, it didn't knock you out. No, it, it didn't. Hit, knock I'm out. surprised because it hit you under the chin. That's usually that's like an uppercut. You yeah. Know? And uh, it was it was brutal. But uh, you know, guys, I just I just uh, the way I played, I dished out a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. But I never. You never could get a clear, clean shot on. Right. You know, and my mother prophesied, said, boy, you got a hard head when I was eight <laughs> years old. And so that prophecy came true. You know what I mean? So it covered, she covered me. Well, you were like Derrick Henry before we had Derrick Henry. Six, two and three quarters, 230. I mean, that's that's a linebacker running yeah. the ball, except he's running the 100 and 10.3. Right. So um, I, I would not – I would not have wanted the task of trying to tackle you. I'd guarantee I'd have been going at your shoestrings. Well, if you look at you look at all the Georgia running backs, especially back in the day, we were all six foot and above, and all of us was over two fifteen. And you were explaining to me why that's not the case as much anymore. And please explain that to everybody else. Well, I, I just believe that when you run spread, everything is spread out now. So you have um, you're starting to see bigger receivers now. Mm-hmm. And shorter, stockier running backs. Right. It's because the game has changed. You have the spread offense, and everything's based on the pass right now. It used to be based on run first. I'm still a true believer. I'm a basic fundamental guy that the run is first. Mm-hmm. You know, establish the run, and then the passing will open up. Right. Um, so everything's spread out now. Gaps are wider now, and uh, you're going to see uh, wide receiving. I mean, passing records broken every year mm-hmm. because of the way the game is today. But Derrick Henry is just one of those guys. Even Derrick, even Todd Gurley. There's a few more. Which Todd's retired now, but there's a few more guys in the league that those big guys. You know, Derrick's just that big six three, two hundred forty five, two hundred fifty pound guy. That that I love his style. That's my style. Mm-hmm. You know, and and he, you know, he's that type of guy. By the time the even maybe even second quarter, third quarter, but definitely the fourth quarter. Running up and trying to hit that guy, yeah. you're going to get tired of hitting him. Yeah. And you're going to get out of the way. And, you, and he's got a deadly stiff arm. Uh-huh. This kid's got one of the best stiff arms I've ever seen. And so, Derrick Henry is my style. Yeah. Yeah, so, big he's, ups to Derrick Henry. He's a nightmare with a football. Yeah, he is, you know? If you've ever seen this guy in person, uh-huh. oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness, man. The, the dude is just he's just a freak. Freak yeah, of nature, he man. Is. So, and he's fast. You know, he's a 4-5. Speaking of freaks, you had mentioned that you got to go to uh, Steelers practice recently and see some bulldog freaks. Oh, yeah. You got to see Darnell, you got to see Broderick Jones, and you got to see George Pickens. Tell me what that was like. Actually, it was great because, uh, you know, I started to wear my, my bulldog chain with the big G on it. Yeah. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to do that in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. <laughs> I didn't want to show off too much. But I, I saw George, spoke to him real quick. So I met Darnell and I met Broderick. And just let them know we were alumni brothers and yeah. stuff. And uh, the guys look good. Darnell looks great. By the way, guys, George Pickett, Darnell uh, Washington, and Broderick Jones, those guys are all going to be starting this year. Uh-huh. And those two skill guys, they're going to tear the league up. Right. Don't be surprised. Jordan, uh, Darnell Washington, if he can stay injury-free, he might be leading the league in receptions. He's that great of a tight end. Well, he's listed as 6'7", but isn't he closer to 6'8"? He's 6'8". Yeah. He ran into me in the end zone at training camp. So, and, uh, and so he, he, he's about – I looked up, hey, what's happening, man? But anyway <laughs> – He's a big guy. Yeah. George Pickett, the whole time I, when I was there, the first training uh, when I was there uh, a couple of weeks ago, he made an unbelievable catch, but he does this every day. Right. 
every day. The kids, he's a freak, man, of yeah. nature. And he's 6'4". Right. You know, so so something about the state of Pennsylvania, they love Georgia players. They do, don't they? I mean, Philadelphia Eagles drafted a whole defense. They're the Philly dogs. Now. <laughs> I, I mean, I think I may, you know, I think I've been cheering for the wrong birds this yeah. whole time. I need to be for Eagles instead of Falcons. Um, All right, I said it was last question about the hard hit, but this truly last question is, what's the next Georgia game you're going to? Because I want to hang out and watch a game with you. Um, I am going to try and make it to the South Carolina game. I might do the ball, the first game. I might do September 2nd. Um, It's Ball State, right? No, UT Martin. UT Martin. I might do that, but I'm definitely going to do – I'm probably going to do both – uh, South Carolina, September 23rd, I think, right? Yeah, and, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, definitely Kentucky. Um, those are probably probably the the only two, like, big games we got at home. I think Ole Miss will be big. Yeah, yeah. I forgot. That's like in November, right? Yeah. Okay, Ole Miss. Of course, we're playing Auburn early, September 30th, in, in uh, Alabama. Um, so, yeah, I, I try to do at least two or three. So, Kentucky – um, if I don't do Ole Miss, I mean, if I don't do South Carolina, I do both Kentucky and Ole Miss. All right, well, if I run into a ticket, I'm going to call you. Okay, you got it, buddy. Well, I tell you what, it's been so awesome to have you. It's Tim Worley, a gentleman, a scholar, a world-class athlete, an inspiration, a winner, and a DGD, man. You're awesome. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, my God. Thank you. Go dogs. Go dogs, baby. <laughs> Three P. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.